Stormy seas and stolen treasures, peg legs and walks down planks. Polish your sword and have your rum handy. It's a pirate's life for us. Totally made that up. A bi-weekly history podcast about wild stories that, you guessed it, sound like somebody totally made them up. But they're true. Even if the supernatural, paranormal, woo-woo elements are only true to the people who lived it. So, we tell true stories. That's right. We don't go for all that the legend goes or the lore says stuff. We like facts and dates and names. We hope you like that too. And my name is Nash. And my name is Tiff. We are your hosts. So as you have probably guessed, this episode's topic is pirates. Yar. <laughs> that concludes the pirate speak. I'm, I am going to resist. Now I can't attest to Tiff. Are you going to try to resist or is it going to slip in, do you think? No, I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm drinking. I've got some wine. So if it slips out, I'm going to blame the wine. But here's the deal with pirates. There's lots of myth and mystery surrounding them, and some we found to be true, others not, and they, along with sailors in general throughout history, have had some superstitions to which they adhere. Some have persisted to present day. And so before we launch into our stories, because that's what we like to do, by the way, we like to kind of get to the... Get to the point. <laughs> get to the point, get to why you're here pretty fast. Before we launch into them, we just thought we'd share some of these. They're... I've divided them into good luck and bad luck things, omens, you know, harbingers, or I don't know. There's other synonyms, I'm sure, but I'm going blank. What am I trying to say? Like harbingers of doom versus signs and symbols of a good voyage, a good, like sharks aren't going to eat your leg. I don't know. I don't know. But those. That sounds good enough to me. Okay. Again, why? Smooth sailing. Oh, smooth sailing. Smooth there sailing. You there you go. It might not be smooth sailing. I've, I'm about mm, a quarter way through <laughs> the third glass of wine. It's all right. Look, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We ain't that podcast who tells you what we're drinking and eating. So, and by God, I'm not going to take a sip on Mike. You have that. That's my promise. So here's some stuff about sailors and their superstitions. Bad luck. A red sunrise. Thursdays. Fridays. The first Monday in April. The second Monday in August. <laughs> what? <laughs> sirens, the creature, not the thing that makes noise. And then the person who hears the siren must be tied to the mast while everyone else stuffs their ears with wax. Somewhat related, having women on board. And Tiff's story will have plenty to say about that. But I will mention this quote that tickled me. Funny enough, naked women on board were completely welcome. That's because naked women calm the sea. This is why ships typically had a figure of a topless woman perched on the bow of the ship. Her bare breast shamed the stormy seas into calm. <laughs> shame. Shame. <laughs> calm your tits. <laughs> calm your tits. Not the title of the episode, but I wish it could be. Changing the name of a boat. 
and that actually comes up in my story. But if you have a denaming ceremony, you're cool. It's fine. Don't ever kill an albatross. Having bananas on board. Yes, that is bad luck. Encountering a redhead before you set sail. <laughs> oh. oh, redheads. Bless your hearts. Cutting your hair, shaving your beard, or clipping your nails. Telling someone good luck. And speaking of good luck, here's what was considered such. Cats, mainly because they kill rats, so there's a practical one. Cormorants, which are birds that kind of look like black seagulls. And seems birds across the board were good luck from what I read. Whistling, because it encourages the wind to pick up. Calling back to our Christmas episode. If a clobouterman, I'm positive I butchered that, was spotted on board, which is a type of kobold, which is a gnomey gremlin goblin type thing. He's cool because he can rescue people who fall overboard, but on the other hand, he may be a sign that the ship is doomed. Similarly, mermaids and mermen can be good or bad luck. Patron saints such as St. Nicholas, St. Brendan of Clonfort, aka Brendan the Navigator, and Erasmus of Formier, a.k.a. St. Elmo. And I liked that one because it had to do with praying to him when sudden storms that had lots of lightning came up. And if there'd be electrical discharges on the masthead, that was seen as him responding, and they called it St. Elmo's Fire. Hmm. On the other hand, lots of electricity in the air can fuck with your compasses, so six of one have dozen the other. They'd wear or carry various trinkets for good luck, such as gold hoop earrings, and a popular one being a mariner's cross, which looks like an anchor to me, and then also symbols would turn up as tattoos. I could go on. Lord Almighty, could I go on. And you may be like, but Nash, you said sailors, not pirates. And I know, but pirates started out as sailors. I mean, you had to be a sailor. You had to know something about sailing to be a pirate, right? Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, one would think. One would think. Which, that is a nice lead into my story. And so, I take you to Bridgetown, Barbados, 1688, and there Steed Bonnet is born to Edward and Sarah Bonnet. Y'all know how I love old-timey names. Steed Damn Bonnet. What a name. What a name. His family is from England and had immigrated there. And they were rich as all get out. They had a ton of land, like a 400-acre sugar plantation. And Steed inherits the goods in 1694 when his father died. Steed is about six years old. My dude is set for life. And whoever was looking after him, I assume his mother, they made sure that the family business prospered and that he got a really good education. So far, this all sounds good. Oh, yeah. Steed's doing well. In 1709, at age 21, he marries Mary Allenby. They have four kids. Allenby, Edward, Steed Jr., and Mary. Okay, so, rounds about 1717, so he and Mary have been together eight years. He's now 29 years old. Steed wakes up one morning and decides to become a pirate. Yes, you heard me right. Just, this is, this is just what he wants to do with his life? Is this his midlife crisis? Yeah, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm, we'll get there. Okay, okay. Now, here was the scoop on pirates at this time. Let's knock out some of the stereotypical stuff first, courtesy of historian Dr. Marcus Redeker, who has been studying pirates for over 40 years. We can trust him, mateys. God, I apologize. I hate myself. Okay. Peg legs and sticking stuff onto stumps in general. That's true. 
losing hands and limbs could unfortunately be common, so hey, hook hands, maybe so. Same goes for eye patches if an eye was lost. Now here's a cool factoid, talking about debilitating stuff, quote, Injuries were so common that the majority of beggars in port towns were former sailors, and pirates themselves pioneered the concept of making extra payments to comrades who were maimed, an early version of disability insurance. Because, wow. yeah, because they'd, they'd split the loot amongst the crew. And, of course, I imagine the captain and officers got more. But, like it says, they'd bump up the disabled's cut. I like that. On the topic of loot, they did not bury treasure because their lifespan was typically so short there was no point in saving because they'd likely never get the chance to return and dig it up. Yes, rum was the drink of choice. Funny hats, true, though likely not with a skull and crossbones, of course. Birds, yes, because like we said, birds were lucky, and sometimes they'd let little monkeys cruise with them if they happened upon them, say, as cargo on a ship they pillaged, or from places they'd visit, because, quote, those things were symbols of having been to exotic lands. Now, interestingly, they typically avoided killing when they could, so it wasn't often that they'd do stuff like keel hauling and walking planks. Their jam was taking over other ships via fear and then snatching the loot, because that's what they cared about most. Now, that's not to say that they wouldn't make examples of sailors who tried to resist. They'd flog, or they'd hang them, or they'd just outright shoot them. Then they'd leave the rest of that crew, of that ship they overtook, they'd leave the rest of them to go on, because then they'd tell the story, and they'd increase the fear of the pirates, as in, you know, you best do what they say if you ever get boarded. But who were these people? Why did they choose to be pirates? Lots of different reasons, but it boils down to that this was not a life that one pursued as a career choice. These were sailors who felt like there was no hope of them getting enough money and other jobs to be part of average British or American society. And in the late 1600s, early 1700s, a lot of them in this area of the Atlantic were former privateers during wartime, working for England and the Netherlands. And their job was, quote, attacking the richly laden merchant vessels of France and Spain. Which privateers were, as you may have guessed by the name, privately owned ships who were essentially commissioned by governments to do dirty work. Like I said, going after the merchant vessels to shake up whatever country they were in battle with. So, same gig as pirating, just on the books versus off. Legal versus illegal. And the intimidation angle I talked about was helped off the bat by the fact that an average pirate crew was like 80 or 90 dudes, you know, 100 dudes, something like that while your typical merchant ship had a crew of like 17 to 20 to 30. Vastly outnumbered. All right, so how did the pirates get together a crew? A captain, of course, would assemble one at the start, but again, injury and death are common. And by the way, if not from injury, then from disease. But we're going to be here all day if I go down that road. You, you can <laughs> just imagine, though. I mean, the dysentery and the scurvy alone. I, I can't. So anyway, you'd have to replace bits of your crew as you went and how to do it if you're out on the high seas. Well, they'd offer to the ships they'd capture, to the sailors that is, they'd say, hey, you want to join us? And many times, handfuls of sailors would accept. Another interesting tidbit, there were tons of former slave pirates. And by former, I mean the people who were in the process of being brought from Africa to become slaves. Pirates liked going after slave ships for two reasons. First, the crews were small. Second, the ships were huge. And they had all that cargo space to hold the soon-to-be slaves. And for the pirates, that meant extra room for loot and extra room for more cannons. 
So the pirates had no interest in selling people off. And they asked the Africans if they wanted to be pirates or stay on the slave ship. And understandably, lots of them took the pirates up on the offer. So there's a multitude of documented cases of African pirates, yet you don't see this represented in movies, if you'll notice. You don't see a ton of black pirates in, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or Errol Flynn movies or whatever. But here's the bottom line about going into piracy for all involved. Quote, The risk of dying at a young age was something every Atlantic sailor of the 1700s was aware of, and those who went into piracy were under no illusion that they would live a long life. At the same time, as another of my sources puts it, quote, But even during their lifetimes, some of the more famous pirates were romanticized. They were folk heroes, says historian Colin Woodard. Though the authorities characterized pirates as devils and demons, enemies of all mankind, Woodard says, many colonial citizens supported them. People saw pirates as Robin Hood figures, socking it to the man on their behalf. Yeah, sock it to him. Okay, so you've got the picture. Rough life. And having said all that, we now go back to our new friend, Steed. <laughs> does that name just crack you up? It does. And I just, I don't have a lot of confidence in him, to be totally <laughs> honest. Just out of the gate, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So in his adult life, Steed had served in the local militia and gotten to the rank of major, though he never went into any sort of battle. It was mostly dealing with, as they put it, slaves who would revolt. But militia, that's kind of an on-call gig. I saw no indication that he was involved in town leadership activities, though several places mentioned he was a respected member of the community. He had bought a huge estate as the family grew, so plenty of servants, and, you know, heavy air quotes there, because again, likely slaves. And they're the ones dealing with the land, so he's not having to physically work the crops. And so you may be thinking, oh, given that he's surrounded by water and had a lot of time on his hands and has decided to become a pirate, that perhaps sailing is a hobby of his. No, nope, nah, not stayed. No, he'd been on boats before, of course, but he'd never, like, run a crew and gone on voyages or whatever. To say that this is completely out of the blue is accurate. There are, however, a handful of reasons suggested for Steed acting like he's 12. For one thing, his daughter had died sometime at or a little before 1715. So in other words, maybe he was suffering from depression, anxiety, all that. For another thing, he apparently was hurting for money in 1717. Maybe crops went bad due to hurricanes, or maybe it was the opposite of that. Maybe it was some drought somebody suggested. Who knows? But he had borrowed 1,700 pounds, which is upwards of half a million today. And we'll come back to what he did with the money in a second. A third possible reason, and my source noted that historians can't be sure on this. This is just a reasoned guess is it's probable that Steed was a Jacobite, or a Jacobite, I've heard it pronounced both ways, and they were for James Stewart being King of England instead of George I, and that, quote, most pirates at the time thought of themselves as in revolt against King George, and there was a lot of toasting to King James. Okay, maybe. And plus, let's not discount what I mentioned earlier about pirate life sometimes being romanticized to a degree. A fourth thing was that around this time, quote, his disorder of mind was well known to the citizens of Barbados. And I would oh, love... come on. <laughs> listen, I would love to know more about that, but no more detail is given. And the final thing, a contemporaneous historian called Captain Johnson wrote that Steed's decision, quote, 
is said to have been occasioned by some discomforts he found in a married state. Now, if you want to get more specific on that comment, quote, When the cause at last came to be known, he was more pitied than blamed, for it was understood that the major's mind had become unbalanced owing to the unbridled nagging of Mrs. Bonnet. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm dying. My confidence in him is now less than zero. Okay, all of these are plausible reasons, and maybe it was a combo, but his wife being a real nag is my favorite of the lot. He had toughed it out for eight years, but now, now's the time to punch out. And look, I'm not judging here. I'm not. I'm not at all. I just question. You are? Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> look, I just question that the answer to your wife being a bitch is to go off and play pirate. It's, it's, it's funny to me to think, damn, Steve, you'd rather die than stay married to her. <laughs> damn. Damn. Steve needs a boat and a crew if he's going to do this. Instead of stealing one like pirates were wont to do. Remember that money I mentioned? Well, Steve goes down to the docks and pays cash for a ship. Of course he did. Of course he did. It is a tin cannon sloop, not too shabby, and he calls it the Revenge. Steed was seeking revenge on no one. <laughs> I feel like he has some marital problems that really should have been discussed. D there was lots. They could, have, they could have had a marriage counselor, maybe. Okay. No, no tip. No. Sail no. towards certain death. Now, this was, this was not terribly original. There are many pirate ships documented that were called the Revenge, and one in particular that you may be thinking of, and I want you to hold on to that thought. Quote, He hired a crew of 70 men, making it clear to them that they would be pirates, and found himself some skilled officers to run the ship, as he himself had no knowledge of sailing or pirating. He had a comfortable cabin, which he filled with his favorite books. His crew thought him eccentric and had little respect for him. We are off to a banging start, folks. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Congratulations, Steed. Go, Steed. I will note, though, that the total of all on board came to about 126. So he, he really legit, he was pretty well prepared. And he had a busy year. First, he orders that they sail up Virginia Way and raid commercial vessels as they went. And because his crew, a lot of whom were experienced pirates, were so good, they were actually pretty successful. They did the usual, turning the ships loose after the plundering, so, you know, they could go and tell the tale. But one place says that in at least one instance, Steed burns a boat when they were near Barbados because he didn't want word to get back to Bridgetown about what he was doing. <laughs> Steed. Steed. Everybody knows. Oh, yeah. You were, you were not subtle about this at all. So then they decide, after this nice run, to head back and go to Honduras, which was a known pirate hangout, to spend their loot. Get to partying. Probably pick up some syphilis while they're there. And then, likely overconfident, Steed blows it. And I quote, Sometime in August, they sighted a mighty Spanish man-o'-war, and Bonnet ordered an attack. The pirates were driven off, their ship was badly beaten, and half of the crew was dead. Bonnet himself was badly injured. Here's what happened next. 
And I have to quote again here from another source because I really need y'all to put yourself in this scene. I want you to put yourself in 1700s garb. You're out hanging on the docks, chatting with people. You know, the rum is up to you. I don't, whatever you want to picture yourself drinking or eating, whatever. It's just an average day. And you look up and you see this. In late August 1717, an unfamiliar vessel came into Nassau Harbor its rigging, hull, and crew bearing the scars of battle. When the captain showed himself, Nassau's pirates must have gasped. He was clad in a fine dressing gown, patched with bandages, and spoke and carried himself like a gentleman and a landlubber, both of which he turned out to be. <laughs> oh, Steed. Steed. So there's Steed on the dock, in his drawers, looking like hammered shit. And again, here's another town that apparently took pity on him. And he kind of endeared himself to the pirates of Nassau. And one pirate who was there at the time was Edward Thatch. And if that name sounds familiar, it's for good reason. Dude was famous. Let me tell you about him. He was born in 1680 in Bristol, England, and had worked his way up from being a deckhand to finally being captain of his own ship. And old Eddie had this pirating thing down to a science. Besides his badass crew and killer ship, he alone was intimidating as fuck. Quote, In a battle, he cultivated a terrifying image. He wore a silk sling over his shoulders on which were three braces of pistols hanging in holsters like bandoliers. Under his hat, he tied lit fuses, dangling some of them down to the sides of his face so as to surround it with a halo of smoke and fire, making him look more frightful than a fury from hell. Merchant crews would take one look at this apparition and the army of wild men around him bearing cutlasses, muskets, and primitive hand grenades and invariably surrender without firing a shot. It was during this cruise that Thatch's victims began referring to him as Blackbeard. Mwahahahaha. Nice. Now, Blackbeard had been apprenticing under another famous and successful pirate named Benjamin Hornigold, and he was just getting cranking and cementing his reputation as a badass. And what had happened was, probably unknown to Steed, what remained of Steed's crew had approached Blackbeard and been like, please, God, please take us on, please. You have to, please. This guy sucks. <laughs> and Blackbeard's all stroking his beard thinking, hmm, not only could I have my ship, maybe I can start assembling me a little baby pirate flotilla. May as well kick it off with this one. And he checks out the ship and it's damaged, but it's solid. So he's like, yeah. Somewhat surprisingly, Blackbeard allows Steed to come along, and even though he wouldn't be in charge anymore, one place says that Steed was just thrilled to meet him, so he, he's totally fanboyed out. And seems like Blackbeard may have thought, well, when he's feeling better, he can go back to being captain of that ship, but you know, under me, just like I was under Benjamin Hornigold. Maybe he can learn something, maybe I can kind of grow him, you know? Sure. Quote. He kept Bonnet on board as a guest, which seemed to suit the still-recovering Bonnet just fine. According to the captain of a ship plundered by the pirates, Bonnet... <laughs> this is just... Bonnet would walk the deck in his nightgown, reading books and muttering to himself. <sighs> Why? 
why is he just still hanging out in his underwear? Why? What is he <laughs> stayed? What are you? Huh? So after a little time passes, Blackbeard upgrades, and now his ship is the infamous Queen Anne's Revenge. So now we've got Great Big Revenge and Whittle Revenge. Alas, quote, Blackbeard realized he was dealing with an amateur and decided to seize Bonnet's command. He kept Bonnet aboard Queen Anne's Revenge and sent his first mate Richards to take over Bonnet's ship with the consent of Bonnet's crew. Again, the crew is done. They are capital D done. Yeah, they're like, please, please just do it. The stout upper-class Bonnet, Blackbeard explained, was not suited to be a pirate captain and would do better to relax aboard the larger ship than suffer the trouble of commanding his own. Though nominally Blackbeard's guest, Bonnet was essentially his prisoner, and with bruised feelings, Bonnet began plotting. Tiff, how do you reckon this is going to go, Steve plotting against Blackbeard? I think he's an idiot. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I cannot even imagine what his plot would be. This guy is just... He's going to get annihilated with whatever the hell is happening here. <laughs> this is Blackbeard, y'all. <laughs> This is not. <laughs> so the timeline of this next bit confused me a touch, but here's what I gather. I don't know if it was an agreed upon split or if Steve just took off, but regardless, he leaves with little revenge in spring of 1718. And on March 28th, Steve takes on this really formidable merchant ship called the Protestant Caesar off the coast of Honduras. And they whiff it hard. They got their asses kicked. They slink back to wherever, and guess who they run into? Well, Blackbeard. Tiff, any guesses as to what Blackbeard did? <laughs> oh, God. Did he hand steed his own ass? <laughs> well, well, first, the crew again begged Blackbeard to take them on. Please, Christ, will you rescue us so we'll at least have a chance of living like five minutes? <laughs> And believe it or not, Blackbeard does it. And he has Steed stay on the Queen Anne's Revenge again. But this time, it's definitely a prisoner situation, even though he still has his own little cabin and whatever. What is going through Blackbeard's mind, you may ask? You may understand what he was thinking because of what happens next. <laughs> I love his story. There are tears in my eyes. Okay. It's now June of 1718, so hadn't been long, when the Queen Anne ran aground off the coast of North Carolina. Blackbeard sends Steed and some crew over to a town called Bath to say to authorities, you know, to plead with the governor, essentially, look, if you'll pardon us, we'll give up our plundering gig, we'll retire, blah, 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 normal life, no more pirating. And Steed is apparently a charming little shit because it works. And he goes back to the ships to tell Blackbeard, and <laughs> apparently they weren't as grounded as it seemed. Blackbeard has stripped the little revenge down to the nails. He has taken all the loot on board, taken some of the crew, and then he abandoned like 25 guys on a little island nearby. Steed is pissed. He officially wants revenge on Blackbeard. Okay, buddy. Okay. Okay, bud. Okay. But speaking of revenge, Steed makes some tweaks, including changing the name of his new ship to the Royal James, and he gives himself a nickname. 
I mean, you know, Edward Thatch, he's got that nickname, Blackbeard. You know, pirates need nicknames, right? Isn't that the... Sure, yeah. Well, Steve decides to call himself Captain Thomas. <laughs> Captain Thomas. That's what he came up with. That's his big bad pirate name. <laughs> that's Captain Thomas. That's what's going to strike fear into the hearts of... Yeah. Oh. Thomas. Oh, not Thomas. Ooh. But everybody... <sighs> But everybody calls him the gentleman pirate, and they He's better off as Steed, Captain Steed, Captain Steed. Steed. Yeah. Right? Okay. Sorry. No, that's got some. That's got some balls behind it. I think. I think Steed's a pretty. That's kind of a. I like that name. I really. I really do like the name Steed. So, I mean, I'm not going to name my child that, but but you know what I mean in terms of an old timey name that's like very, just it's yeah. stark. It's one syllable. It's Steed. You know. But instead, we've got Steed. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, Captain Thomas, but everybody calls him the gentleman pirate, and no, they don't mean that in a kind way. Anyway, part of the reason for the renames is because Steed wants to preserve that agreement about the pardon, at least for him and his guys, because, you know, screw Blackbeard. And what I'm saying is, he was definitely going to get back to pirating, but when word got back of what he was doing, the idea was for the victims to be like, we got attacked by this Captain Thomas dude on this ship, the Royal James, so that the authorities would assume that the guy that they made the agreement with, with Steed Bonnet, was now off living a normal life. But our new friend, Captain Thomas, <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. Why not jazz it up? Or j hey, jazz it out. <laughs> jazz it out. Jazz it out. Thank you, Axman of New Orleans. Y'all got to go listen to that episode. But Steed, he didn't just change up the names. He changed up his whole shtick. He stopped wearing his undies? No. Oh. That he, I don't know that he, the man ever actually dressed as a pirate, though. I think he was still in like his normal gentleman finery this whole time. Or his underwear. You're right. Or his underwear. So he changes up his whole routine. And by that, I mean he went bug fuck crazy. He got really violent. He is actually one of very few. Possibly the only one in terms of documentation that regularly employed walking a plank, which, like I said earlier, wasn't really a thing. Quote, Blackbeard had a head start, so Bonnet had to content himself with seizing merchant vessels. His skills had improved since he had first embarked, and by abusing his crew, killing prisoners, and threatening civilians, Bonnet eventually gained a fearsome reputation of his own. I get the impression that everybody still knew it was Steve, though. <laughs> Again, he is not subtle, because, like I say, he's not dressing the part, for one thing, and he still spoke like a rich gentleman, and it's just, God. And I love this. Talking about what all's happening on the ship through all this drama, quote, he still didn't know anything about sailing, and the de facto commander was quartermaster Robert Tucker. So he's still cosplaying, you know, minus the costume. He's still pretend pirate. Just stop. Stayed. Stayed. <laughs> so that's all happening in the rest of June and July of 1718. Again, this has been like a year. All this has happened in the freaking year since he peaced out on his wife and kids. Then in August, the governor of South Carolina is all, we're taking this guy down. It's over. So he sends a Colonel William Rhett after Steve. In what is a shockingly short amount of time, on September 25th or 27th, Rhett, quote, 
cornered Bonnet at the mouth of the Cape Fear River. Cape Fear, nice. And after a violent firefight, he managed to arrest the pirates. Though the hot-headed Bonnet declared he would blow up himself and the ship before he would surrender, his men overruled him and gave themselves up. They're just, oh God. I love this crew and bless their hearts. And I mean, sincerely, the, the amount of shit they've had to put up with is unreal. They're like, just take us, arrest us, hang us. We don't care anymore, please place <laughs> now some places say that rhett had been ordered to find another pirate by the name of charles vane and just happened to spot steed but it doesn't matter point is steed's captured and quote there was great public rejoicing in charleston when on october 3rd colonel rhett sailed victoriously into the harbor with his prisoners but next day bonnet managed to escape out of the prison and sailed to swillivance island the indefatigable Colonel Rhett again set out after the Major and again caught him and brought him back to Charleston. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> oh, Captain Fuckwit here. See, they didn't understand how good Steed was at ditching people and taking off. That's the problem, see. Then, quote, in custody... Bonnet tried to take advantage of his upper-class background in appealing to the governor for mercy and blaming everything on Blackbeard. J you shitbird. Will you just own it? Just own it. Just... Nothing's ever his fault. Poor Steve. Ugh. Can you hear... He just wanted to play pirate. Why can't you just let him do this? Oh my gosh. He's a spoiled brat. In my mind, I just want... And, and y'all go here with me, too. His wife was supposedly the naggiest nag that ever did nag. I want you to imagine if she was here for all of this. The running commentary of the wife is... <laughs> <laughs> That's him. That's the man. We, we procreated. I made that choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, nobody's proud. Nobody's proud. <laughs> The trial of Steed and the crew starts on October 28th. The crew's end of it was apparently over with pretty quickly. 22 were hanged on November 8th, then more on November 13th. But Steed's end of the sentencing was longer. One of my sources saying, quote, his trial dragged out long after his men had been hanged. And that at one point, there was discussion of sending him to England. And I don't know why. They didn't elaborate. I guess because, I don't know if it's because he was technically British even though he was born and raised in Barbados. Or maybe, honestly, you know what? Come to think, I wonder if most of his plundering happened to British ships. Or the Crown. Let's put it that way. The Crown ships. Because I saw that one was out of Glasgow, Scotland, and another one was out of Leith, which is an Edinburgh port. But, but I have no idea. I saw a list of some of the ships in one of my sources, but it didn't say where they were from other than those couple that I just mentioned. But anyhow, Steed was convicted on November 12th. And on December 10th, Steed was hanged at White Point, Charleston, South Carolina, which is now a large public park, so you know that's charming. And as it so happened, just a side note, Blackbeard had died a month earlier in a battle with the British Royal Navy. And matter of fact, the wreckage of the Queen Anne's Revenge was found in recent past, back in 2011. And I'll stick a supplemental article in show notes for you about that if you're interested. I shall close with a couple of quotes that sum up this story better than I could. 
Regarding the legacy of Old Steed, sure, he's remembered because he's part of Blackbeard's story, but that also, quote, Bonnet was born wealthy and as such is one of the extremely few pirates who deliberately chose that lifestyle. He had many options in his life, yet he chose piracy. But at the same time, quote, Though Bonnet's career was beset with misfortune and his life not always merry, he likely had more fun plundering ships than he would have had at home on his quiet plantation. Whatever his motives for becoming the gentleman pirate, Steed Bonnet's name would not live on today had he simply been a gentleman. And that, my friends, is your story of Steed Bonnet, the gentleman pirate. What a douche. I'm so glad you said it because that's what was I, what I was going to say. Douche, Captain Douche, not the title of the episode as much as I want it to be now. <laughs> <laughs> our history, though short, is wrought with events that transform our existence. Locked away and hidden within sacred vaults exists a treasure trove of events inventions, and stoic occurrences hoping to shine once more. These gems have many facets. Some shine like beacons of hope and others are dim with warnings of future transgressions. Sometimes history is easily accessible and this is the history that we know by teachings. But what of the history that we were never taught? Sometimes we must act as thieves to steal the locked treasures of history and find out what secrets lie beneath. Join us as we pick the locks, open the hidden artifacts, and bring these treasures back from whence they came. Only on Ransack History, presented by Sounded Heart. Tiff, please, tell me you have stories of pirates who are not douchebags. That's correct. Excellent. You are correct. Excellent. Yes. And, you know, it's funny that you're, you were talking about a pirate who chose piracy, and so did my pirate. It could have, it could have been a, a pretty decent but boring life. And my pirate was like, nah, mm -mm, we're going here. Well, and I need you to ease my fears and the fears of the audience now. Were they a fuck up like Steed? Hell no. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm sitting back. I'm buckling up. All right. So... Like you said in, in the beginning of yours, pirates, pirate tales, they can be pretty unbelievable, exaggerated, some maybe just odd, like like Steed. God. You'd never right. heard of him before, right? I had not. I had not either. No. I, had, I had heard of him. Somebody mentioned him within a podcast about Blackbeard, but he was kind of a footnote. And I was like, oh, there's got to be more. So I bookmarked, I looked him up and I bookmarked him immediately because I was like, there's no way there's not more to this. Mm -hmm. Happily for us, yeah. state, state got up to a lot. So, all right, I'm shutting up. Let's talk about Anne Bonnie, the tits out pirate queen. <laughs> I just, because every, okay, it's funny because I said to Nash, hey, I'm really glad that this topic is not so out there and I could do research while I'm at work and I work for a, a corporation. <laughs> so there's like the cock ghost. I could, I was not able to search for the ghost of cock lane while I was at work, but I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do some research in my downtime. Every single thing about Anne Bonnie pulls up a picture of her with her shirt open and, and her breast just loose, <laughs> just like, out there. <laughs> one, one or more hoo-hahs was just out there dancing. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, damn it. I can't, 
<laughs> I can't. I can't do this at work. All right. Anyways, and Bonnie, Pirate Queen. She was born out of an affair, likely around 1697 or 1700. Or if you want to get a little bit specific, you could say March 8th, 1698 or March 8th, 1702. Pick one and let's move on. She was born to lawyer William Cormack and his servant, Mary Brennan, in County Cork, Ireland. Now, allegedly, William was not very fond of his wife's family and had moved his business to London to get away from them. What is up with these guys ditching their wives? They just... Whatever. I don't... I don't know. I do know. I don't know. Well, I do know. It's it's easy. And so that's the route they take. (laughs) (laughs) But William was apparently... He was getting money from his wife's family. Like, he had an allowance from her, even though he was a lawyer and had a successful business of his own. So I think that he should have probably stuck that out. But whatever. He moved to London, get away from her, and also to keep up his life with his mistress slash servant. They hid Anne in plain sight by dressing her as a boy and pretending that she was training to become his assistant. And of course, this all got found out and it became a big story and a big scandal. But William, he really ended up loving Mary. And once his wife found out about everything, like I said, she cut off his allowance. He was like, all right, fine. I'm going to take my new family away from here. And so they sailed across the Atlantic and settled in Charleston or Charlestown, as it was really known then. Unfortunately for Anne, her mother passes when she is 12 or 13, and she's left to run the household for her father. And how's he doing since he became a disgraced lawyer and ran off with his mistress? Not too bad, actually. He got to Charleston, he established himself as a lawyer, and then as a merchant, and made enough to purchase at least a 50-acre rice plantation and a townhouse. Not too shabby. And dear Anne, well, she's not taking everything so well, I don't think. I don't think she's handling things very sanely. She's described as nicely as possible in a lot of sources as fiery or spirited or courageous. But one source just goes straight with psychopath. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I I still like her though. (laughs) (laughs) Now, why would they say she's a psychopath? Because there's a story that she stabbed a young servant girl to death. Oh, shit. Shit. Yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. This is while she's young and there's no motive that's ever noted. Like I looked and looked and looked and they're just like, this happened. And I'm like, okay, why? Like, was she stealing her shit? Did she do something with? No, she just stabbed her. I think it was almost like she just wanted to see it happen. Anyways. So yeah. So that's some psychopath behavior. There's another instance that a lot of people cited that she beat a man so badly that he quote, lay ill of it a considerable time. (laughs) Why did she beat him so badly? Because he tried to rape her. So I'm with her on that. Go Annie. Yeah. She, you know, she was that stereotypical, you know, kind of Irish that people go with. She's got the fiery red hair. She's got vibrant green eyes. She was quite a catch. And her father had planned to try to arrange marriage for her. She was like, Nah. And he disapproved of her rebellious ways. And there were a number of rumors, even as she was a teenager, of her carousing in local taverns, sleeping with fishermen and drunks. And this started to kind of damage his business. Around the age 16, she ended up meeting and marrying a man named James Bonney. He was a small time pirate and a sailor and really had little to nothing to offer her. 
except a way out. So stories differed a little bit on how this went over with her father. None of them good. Let's just say that. One stated that he disowned her, another that he kicked her out. But along with that, there are stories that she didn't take that very well, and she returned in the night to set fire to his home and plantation. Oh, Annie. This is, this is as, here, put it this way. As much of a pusillanimous prick as Steed was, she is like the direct opposite. Like, she is a badass. And I love that she's still only 16. You know, she's responding like any teenage girl would. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we've all been there. You know, I know when, I know how my daddy reacted when I brought home my pirate boyfriend. <laughs> I had no choice but to burn down the plantation, honey. <laughs> what else to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having grown up where she did in Charleston, she knew about pirates. And as Nash mentioned in her section, you know, there were the privateers. They were actually a really big part of the economy. They served as protectors for a little while. Charleston was a major stop as they went back and forth to the Caribbean islands. So she was down. She was like, we're going to get out of here. We're getting on a ship. All right, cool. Let's do this. So she and her not very great of a pirate husband took off to New Providence in the Bahamas. And this was the place to be. This was a pirate sanctuary, also known as the Republic of Pirates. And at this point, we're in the ballpark of 1714 to 1718. And she is all in. She's pirates like for me. We are going to plunder. We're going to hang out. We're going to get drunk. We're going to party. This is great. She spent a lot of her time drinking at the local saloons, seducing pirates. In a book about pirates, the author says that she was not altogether so reserved in the point of chastity, and that James Bonney once surprised her lying in a hammock with another man. Say that again. She's not so what? <laughs> not so... Not so reserved in point of chastity. Well, that get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I want that, like, on a throw pillow, man. <laughs> she's wild. She's a little wild child. So she's she's having a great time down in the Republic of Pirates. But her husband, James, he's, like I said, he's not that great of a pirate. He's not doing well. You know, I don't think he's on the same level as Steed. I just don't think that he ever really made it. Right, right. Yeah. So he decides to ruin the fun for everybody else, and he becomes a snitch. Up until this point, New Providence had no government. So it was a place where people only did what's right in his own eyes. And pirates, and I'm quoting here, pirates spent riotously what they wickedly got. There were between 500 and 1,000 pirates that shared the location with only about 200 residents that actually lived there. So this whole place, it's not very conspicuous. And so the British government finally decides to step in. They appoint Woods Rogers as governor in 1718. So James Bonney jumps on that opportunity and he's a snitch. He's feeding him information about the local pirates, helping to make most wanted lists. And so this island got flipped from a pirate sanctuary to pirate hunting central. Now, of course, as you mentioned in your story, you know, there were pardons that were handed out. Rogers would give them to pirates who helped him, to anyone who seemed that they were going to change their ways. But at this point, Anne, you know, she's done. She's done with him. She's been busy partying, messing around with the locals. And in the meantime, while he's been busy snitching, she fell in love 
with a different pirate by the name of John Rackham, and he is known as Calico Jack. Oh, man. Yo-ho-ho, motherfucker. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Get it, Anne. Get it. So he was on the island to actually request a pardon from the governor because he had been a pirate. He had been busy plundering ships and, you know, getting his booty, whatever, for a few years now. But he and Anne started this affair. James found out and, quote, he brought Anne to Governor Rogers, who ordered her whipped on charges of adultery. Now, Rackham offered to buy Anne in a divorce by purchase because he loved her, but her husband sternly refused. And so this caused Anne to flee Nassau and run away with Rackham. So off she went, sailing the seas with her pirate love. It seems very romantic. Not for me, because I get very seasick, and they were all very dirty. So, of course, aren't women bad luck on ships? Aren't they not supposed to be there? Uh, So they say. So they say. So they say. But quoting an article by the Smithsonian, a surprising number of women ventured to sea in many capacities as servants, prostitutes, laundresses, cooks, and, albeit less frequently, as sailors, naval officers, whaling merchants, or pirates. Anne herself was likely inspired by a 16th century Irish woman named Grace O'Malley, who became infamous along the coast of the Emerald Isle. But female pirates still had remained an anomaly and a perceived liability. Blackbeard had banned women from his ship, and if his crew took one captive, she was strangled and pitched over the side. And here's my thing. Here's my thing. If it's me, I would have zero desire to be out in the middle of nowhere maybe the only one or maybe one of two or three whatever like we say this is like 90 dudes so i would be quite reticent to be out there in the middle of nowhere with all those dudes i mean forget it i get that maybe there's a small comfort in that you know calico jack she's she is calico jack's girl and so perhaps there was fear there with the other the rest of the crew the other men To be like, God, you know, if we even come near Calico Jack's girl, we are dead. So Mm -hmm. maybe she had that small bit of comfort, but still, still. She was spirited. Spirited (laughs) is a word. That is a word. Uh Uh-huh. Well, you know, apparently she made sure that her place was known and that she was getting their respect. There was somebody when she joined the crew who was talking shit about her was not very happy about her being on board. And so she shut him up by stabbing him in the heart. That'll do it. That, that'll do it. Yeah. I'm here now, bitches. So there was a little bit of conflict in some of my sources. Some of them said that she disguised herself always while on board and was assigned duty in the captain's quarters to help hide her identity and their relationship. But most of them seem to agree that everyone on board knew who she was and that she only hid her identity while they were in battle or while they were out pillaging. So that's the one I'm going with. She's shacked up with Calico Jack. It doesn't take very long for her to get pregnant. Now, not a ton is noted about this, aside from the fact that she did get pregnant, and for the birth, she got shipped off to Cuba, and then she returned to the ship afterwards. Then the baby was either left with friends or ended up dead. That's about it. But she did have a baby and then went right back into pirateering. I was about to say, the point is she showed up minus baby. Right. They continue doing pirate things. Jack is really, really good at being flashy with the money that he acquires. It's never held on to for very long because, as you said, 
short lifespan, got to spend it while you got it. But he kept the pirate operation pretty small. You know, they weren't they weren't going after those big, crazy uh, ships like Steed was. And then sometime during the years, and, I, and like in Steed's case, this all happened so fast. I mean, it was like such a short amount of time that they're able to accomplish all of this and have all of these adventures. And this was the golden age of piracy. So this was, if you were going to be a pirate, this was the time because everyone's out there just having a ball with it, I guess. I don't know. So now it's sometime during the years 1718 to 1720. They encounter another ship. They conquer it. They take several prisoners. And this is where Mary Reed enters the picture. So when a lot of people hear Anne Bonny, they're like, oh, yeah, Anne Bonny, Mary Reed. You think of the two of them as a pair. There are a few different stories. One notes that Anne tried to seduce Mary, thinking that she was a man. And Mary, in order to not get killed for refusing her affections, revealed that she was actually a woman. Like, here, check out my tits. (laughs) And Anne was all like, oh, hell yes, girl, we are officially best friends. Secret's safe with me, because Mary had actually spent a good chunk of her life living as a man. Here is a bit on Mary. There was an article in the Smithsonian that I've quoted a couple times, and of course will be in show notes. And I'm just going to quote here because they have such a a great rundown kind of of her life and how she spent a lot of her time living as a man so that she could accomplish all of the things that she did. Mary was born in 1685 in England. She was also an illegitimate child. Her mother's first child was a boy and was born shortly after her husband died at sea. Mary's mother-in-law took pity on her as a widow, offered to support the grandson until he was grown, but then he died as well. Mary's mother quickly became pregnant again, gave birth to Mary, and in order to keep receiving money from her husband's family, she dressed her daughter to resemble her dead son. Oh my lord. Yeah. Yeah. That baby was growing very slowly, apparently. Apparently. (laughs) But the grandmother was, uh, you know, of course not stupid. She caught on. She terminated the arrangement. And then to make ends meet, Mary's mother continued dressing her as a boy and would rent her out as a servant. By age 13, she served as a, quote, powder monkey on a British man of war during the War of the Grand Alliance. And for this, she was carrying bags of gunpowder from the ship's hold to the gun crews. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That was, I was like, please, God, explain that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then after that, she joined the Army of Flanders, and she served in the infantry and the cavalry. She continued living her life as a man and sailed for the West Indies on a Dutch ship, which was captured by English pirates. And then the crew, believing her to be an Englishman, encouraged her to join them. And so then Calico Jack Rackham served as the quartermaster for her new crew, and he, you know, never suspected her true gender. She was very aggressive and ruthless, always ready for a raid. She swore like a drunken sailor. And she wore loose clothing to, you know, to hide her female figure. She didn't have facial hair, but a lot of the other pirates and shipmates were in their teens, early 20s. And stress, poor diet, a lot of them also didn't really have a whole lot of facial hair. So it wasn't really something that triggered any alarms for anybody. And then adding to that, the stress and the malnutrition probably also kept her from having a menstrual cycle. That's, she was, she pulled it off and good for her. Hell yeah. She, she had some adventure. Another badass bitch. (laughs) Right? So here we are. 
we're on the ship with Mary and Anne and Calico Jack and their best friends. But now Jack, like I said, he doesn't suspect anything. But he's not getting very excited about this relationship that's building between Anne and Mary. So he decides that he's going to kill her because he thinks that there's competition for affections. So he goes in there. He's ready to slash her throat. But again, she's like, nope, boobs, check it out. <laughs> you got nothing to worry about here. So he's like, oh, all right, that's cool. I'll keep your secret. So that's that. He's, so now he's, just, he's got two women on his ship. He's totally cool with it. He's happy. And they're still sailing around doing pirate things. I like that it, again, we weren't there, so we don't know. But I like that it apparently did not occur to him that two women could be fooling around. <laughs> I love that Jack's like, oh, tits. Oh, you're cool. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. As you bring that up, there are a lot of stories that imply that Mary and Anne were lovers. There's nothing to say that they, they couldn't have been. I should note that Mary had previously been married. And there was also mention that she had a lover on the ship. So, you know, whatever. Everyone come to the, your own conclusion. But again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying what, you know, how they but identify. But again, <laughs> I, I submit, I submit. <laughs> Perhaps one could be attracted to both men and women at the same this time. True. How's this about that? Wow. Yeah. What a novel idea. <laughs> I've just come up with it just now. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, everybody draw your own conclusions, however you read the situation. But anyways, they all mesh. They all get along. And we know that these women just completely fucking rocked it as pirates. They were ruthless. And they definitely loved what they did. There are several witness testimonies that included the following statements. First, they were very active on board willing to do anything. It did not seem to be kept or detained by force, but by their own free will and content. Both women were very prolificate, cursing and swearing much, and very ready and willing to do anything on board. Both wore men's jackets, long trousers, and had handkerchiefs tied about their heads. Each carried pistols and machetes. They swore at the men, urging them to murder, and this is coming from a witness, so. Uh, they swore at the men, urging them to murder her and prevent her from coming against them. This witness testified that she knew they were women by the largeness of their breasts. So why are these specific testimonies even in existence? Well, because in October of 1720, the governor of New Providence, Woods Rogers, finally put an end to the rascals aboard Captain Calico Jack's ship. They just decided they were too active with all the plundering and they were declared enemies of the crown of Great Britain. So one evening, an English ship came up alongside and fired cannons upon their ship. Now, several sources noted that most of the crew on Calico's ship was passed out because they had been partying too much earlier, celebrating another successful haul, and that when they were boarded, Mary and Anne were the ones who fought against it. They were screaming at the men to get up on deck and fight, but they were all indeed captured and brought to trial. Now, Calico Jack and nine crewmen were hanged at Gallows Point, and they were left there as an example. Anne was given the opportunity to see his body, and like a boss bitch, she said to him, if you had fought like a man, you need not have been hanged like a dog. <laughs> I love her so much. She had thoughts, and she didn't need to hide them. No. <laughs> Don't hold back, Annie. <laughs> Say what you mean. So... 
the women were brought to trial in November, and those testimonies that I briefly quoted earlier were given. The women were asked if they had a defense, and they responded no. And then according to a source, the verdict was unanimous, guilty of piracies, felonies, and robberies committed by them on the high sea. The Jamaican governor asked if they had anything to say that might persuade him to spare their lives. No, they answered. So then he said, you, Mary Reed and Anne Bonny, are to go from hence to the place from whence you came, and from thence to the place of execution, where you shall be severely hanged by the neck till you are severely dead. As opposed to just regular dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All the way, Dad. All the way. All the way. <laughs> Except, uh, oh, this would all have to wait because they were both pregnant. So after an inspection, it was discovered that, yes, this was indeed the case. So the execution for each of them was put on hold. This is where we reach the end of Mary's life. She succumbed to a fever, either from sickness or during childbirth. And she was buried on April 28th in 1721 in Jamaica. But Anne, her fate is a little bit murky, and I hate to break it to you, but so is the rest of her life. I just need to backtrack a little bit. What we do know for certain is that Anne Bonney was brought to trial for acts of piracy. She had been aboard Captain Jack's ship. Those witnesses testified that she had been a pirate for at least two years, and that her execution was delayed due to pregnancy. As far as the facts of her life, that's about it. The court documents at the time are pretty thorough, but all of that other biographical information, it's all speculation. Where we get most of the information about Anne came from a 1724 book. The title was A General History of the Pirates, with the subtitle, With the Remarkable Actions and Adventures of the Two Female Pirates, Mary Reed and Anne Bonney. It was authored by a very mysterious person by the name of Captain Charles Johnson. Oh, the same guy! Uh-huh. The same guy that, oh, that told about Steed. Captain Johnson does not appear to actually exist. Fuck. <laughs> okay, I will say this. Other people were quoted saying that Steed's wife was a bitch. <laughs> so <laughs> so there, there were others that said this. I just liked Captain Johnson's one the yeah. most. Well, Fuck me. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay. So... Almost all pirate history is based off of this book. So it's not... What? It's not like, you know, you and I were just like, oh, duh, we didn't do our research. No, 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 no. This, everybody goes off of this book because it's the most complete and it was a bestseller at the time. It was like a big thing. But once people have dug into some of the more minute details, they, they have found some stuff that doesn't quite match up. Captain Charles Johnson may have been a pen name for Daniel Defoe, who wrote Robinson Crusoe. Oh! Or another person named Nathaniel Mist, who was a newspaper reporter, and he published weekly articles about pirates. There's no hard evidence either way, though, but a lot of people do lean more towards the Daniel Defoe angle. No! <laughs> Chuck! Chuck Johnson, man! I thought he was... <laughs> he was the dude, right? I know. Chuck Johnson was the go-to for your pirate stuff. <laughs> God damn it! This book was a major bestseller of the time. 
This included biographies of several pirates, and it became so popular that they actually published a second edition that had illustrations, and that was an even bigger hit because, you know, you had the pictures to go along with the words so you can actually see what was going on. And there were boobs out. There was boobs. Yeah, (laughs) boobs. Boobs flying all over the place. Tits were not calm. (laughs) Now, of course, many of the pirates written about were dead. So these stories were based on legends. They were based on secondhand tales. They were based by, you know, on witness testimony. But all of this is going from one side of the ocean to the other and being exaggerated. You know, you've got people giving themselves their own nicknames and, (laughs) and, you know, devious captain names like Thomas. (laughs) Yeah, like the very intimidating (laughs) Captain Thomas. Stady fuck. Right? So not a lot of it can be found to be true. In that book, William Cormack and Mary Brennan, Anne's parents, aren't even named. It's written in a very generic, kind of scandalous way that the father had an affair with the servant and played the vigorous lover. God, I hate that word. The story went that his wife grew suspicious and accused the maid of stealing spoons. The maid ended up in jail, the author claimed. But when people learned she was pregnant, she was released. She gave birth to a girl named Anne. The whole affair was eventually exposed, triggering a scandal that ruined the lawyer's business. As a result, Anne's father was said to have moved to Carolina. And... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, I realize I've had a lot of wine, but stealing spoons. Stealing spoons. I'm dying. <laughs> they were really good spoons, okay? Okay. They scooped the soup so well. (laughs) They were awesome spoons. Awesome spoons. So the book continues on, and it accounts the marriage to James Bonney, her leaving him for John Rackham, Mary Reed's appearance, and the trial. But it also added some special details, like the nickname for John Rackham, Calico Jack. He's never called that in any of the trial transcripts or the newspapers of the time. But the book by Captain Johnson uses the nickname and says it was because of his love of calico clothing. It wasn't even like people were like, oh, no, there's Calico Jack. No, (laughs) it was more like there's Captain John Rackham. And then this douche who wrote this fake book about pirates was all like, no, it's Calico Jack. No, no. Listen, y'all know how I am about facts. I love facts. I love evidence. I love I'm I'm putting my foot down, man. No, Charles Johnson is true and this is the wine talking and i know it and i'm aware of it <laughs> and i still don't care that calico jack is much better than rackham yeah yeah it is it is i like calico jack more it's fun but you know there were some exaggerations and then a year later in 1725 there was another book that was written and in there they stated that Anne and mary were lesbian lovers So that's another point of the story that's stuck for several hundred years. As for the parentage of Anne, like, where did we get William Cormack from? Like, what is this? Since it wasn't named in the history of pirates in 1724. Well, none of that was noted until 1960, when a book by John Karlova called Mistress of the Sea was published, and with no sources claimed that William Cormack and Peg Brennan were the parents. And then in 2000, another author named Mary Brennan as the mother. There are a couple ways to try to verify some of these claims. And probably the easiest and most important one is that William Cormack was a business owner, a landowner. He ran a plantation. 
However, there is no record of anyone named William Cormack in South Carolina at the time. And given what he was all doing with the business and the land ownership, there should be something. But again, we do know that Anne did exist, that she was a pirate. It's just that the life story might not have been exactly right. I like to believe it, though. I like to believe that she was out there just stabbing bitches and setting fires to things. And, okay, but did she get executed? That's a great question. And again, I've got to tell you, nobody knows much about that either. I hope she talked her way out of it. I really do. <laughs> so we know that she she was sentenced, that it was stayed until she was supposed to give birth. But after all of that, the records just kind of end. They don't say whether or not she actually gave birth, if she was ever executed, if she was just given extensions over and over and over, or if she was released. And a lot of articles like to list her year of death as 1782, but there are absolutely no records of her after 1720 and after the trial. What happened to her? It really depends on who you ask, what source you want to go with. So we've got David Cordingly with the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography, who states that she returned to South Carolina with her child and that her father had secured her release with a bribe. While there, she married Joseph Burleigh and had eight more children, or ten if you want to believe a different writer. Another person said that she settled in Tidewater, Virginia. She eventually had children and became a grandmother, possibly a great-grandmother, and died in her mid-80s in 1782. Let's see. There's another claim that she married a Jamaican official, changed her name to Annabelle, and moved to a Caribbean island. Or there's even another one that she returned to England. She settled in a southern town and bought a tavern. And, of course, Captain Charles Johnson wrote in A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates. She was continued in prison to the time of her lying in and afterwards reprieved from time to time. But what has become of her since, we cannot tell. Only this we know, that she was not executed. Because I feel like there, I mean, they, there was record of Mary, so why wouldn't there be record of Anne? Mm-hmm. That, I know the absence of evidence is not evidence. On the other hand, where hers go? They were pretty good about keeping the records of things, you know. People did... Because I, I searched, I was like, all right, so if she's had these children and she didn't get executed, are there people who are claiming to be her descendants? Like, what's going on here? How do we have any of this proof that she continued and then she lived until 1782? And, you know, I didn't really come across any crazy claims like, oh, I'm the great, great granddaughter of, you know, Pirate Anne. A lot of people did believe that her dad essentially got her out of everything and brought her back. I have a hard time believing, though, that she would go back willingly and just live that quiet life. Not live a quiet life, but, I mean, if it's death or at least, or taking your dad up on his offer. I mean, I'd have taken daddy up on his offer. But, yeah, that she settled down and became this demure housewife, doubt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's an interesting and crazy story. You know, something something happened. I, I feel like she probably did get out, but where she actually went, I don't know. And I think that that's a crazy mystery. <laughs> I love her. I love her a lot. Let me just finish with this quote that came from a ThoughtCo article. And I, I just, I loved it. I thought it was great, a great kind of summary and why a lot of people are intrigued by her story. 
No one knows how much of an influence Anne has had on young women since her days of piracy. At a time when women were kept indoors, barred from the freedom that men enjoyed, Anne went out on her own, left her father and husband, and lived as a pirate on the high seas off and on for two years. Her greatest legacy is probably the romantic example of a woman who seized freedom when the opportunity presented itself, even if her reality was probably not nearly as romantic as people think. I was like, yeah, that's good. So there you go. Nash, I'm sorry. I know you were, you were very excited about her. I'm still excited about her. Uh, yeah, she's still, it's still a cool story. I love all these people. Listen, I even love Steed. <laughs> I really do. Steed brought me such joy looking into this. I, I was grinning ear to ear. I love Steed. I'm probably the only one too. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm sure his wife didn't and Blackbeard didn't. <laughs> no, a pirate only a mother could love. That's right. Our dear steed. <laughs> I love Mary Reed. I love Anne. Yep. I love Calico Jack for loving her so much that he was willing to pay for her. You know, I love Calico Jack. Yeah. So I had to look up stuff because I was like, all right. Yeah. The people on the ships, like, knew that they were women, or at least that Anne was a woman. And But why in every picture does she got to be exposed? Like, what's going on here? And from what I came across, apparently, just before she would kill somebody, she would expose her breasts so that they knew that they were killed by a woman. If I couldn't have loved her more, <laughs> now I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there you go. That's Pirates. Those badasses. It's terrifying to me, but. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't. And I know I get it. They were pillagers and murderers and rapists and, you know, all that. I get it. But just the how tough you had to be to endure that life boggles the mind. And then to choose it willingly. Yeah. Well, because some, again, the majority felt they had no other option. Yeah. Steed's a special, special case. He is a... Yeah. He's a one-off. He's a one-off. He's the outlier. Okay. And then there's Anne, who's just too spirited to, I think, do anything else. Correct. Correct. <laughs> she was going to set more fires if she had to stay on land. The little pyro. Yeah. <laughs> little psychopath pyro. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts, anyone that uh, you think that we should have focused on or any other information that we missed, let us know. Yeah, if, you've, if you're related, if you feel certain that you're descended, well, Steed for sure had descendants because it was noted that the other three did live till adulthood, the three children that were left. So Steed's got descendants. If you are a descendant of Steed Bonnet... I want you to write me immediately. Yeah, I, I want to know. But that's all I got. How about you? I'm done. This was, this was good. I had a blast on this one. That's not the wine talking because I was sober when I researched. So I had a blast <laughs> on this one. It was. It was fun. And we hope you guys enjoyed. And again, keep listening for the outro. That'll tell you how to get in touch with us via email or social media. We're on Tumblr and Twitter and Instagram. And we post different stuff on each because we're easily bored. And we like to switch it up. So that's all I got. And we'll catch you next episode. This is where the catchphrase goes. Say bye, Tiff. Bye, Tiff.
You, you piece of shit. Piece of shit. Arg. 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 Thanks so much for listening. As a reminder, you can check out our sources for each of the episodes at show notes, along with any supplemental things we think you might enjoy. Visit us on our blog at youtotallymadethatup.tumblr.com. You can also find us on Twitter at YTMTUPodcast and on Instagram at youtotallymadethatup. Feel free to contact us on those platforms, and you can also email us. That address is youtotallymadethatup at gmail.com.